We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha. Welcome to the Layman's Lounge we podcast, a ministry of the laymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology for everyday life. About two years ago, I had my very first interview, and it was with Bruce Ashford, and he's back. What's up, brother? Hey, man. Uh, it's good, good to be on the show with you again. Yeah, the very first time um, I like did it from my cell phone in my car, because that's the only place I had internet, and looking listening back to it, sounds like I was speaking through a tin can, so I've got a proper mic now, so thanks. Yeah, today we got Bruce Ashford. Senior Fellow at the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology, amongst a thousand other things. Um, he runs BruceAshford.net, where, um, man, I feel, like, I feel like we should pay to subscribe to that thing, but for some reason he gives that away. But it's, folks could go and read, like, he has these, like, you know, six to 12 part, like, uh, uh, series coming often. So, like, recently he did, like, um, the Ten Commandments, which he gave a snappy name to, like for a disgruntled culture or something like that. And he had, um, I think the most recent one is how to not get bamboozled by the meat by mainstream media. And so anyways, that's BruceAshford.net. You could um, you could go uh, go check that out. We'll link that in the show notes. Bruce is author of a dozen or so books and co-author of my all time favorite book. All-time favorite, like more than mere Christianity, more than confessions, literally my all-time favorite book. This guy is the co-author of um, with Craig Bartholomew, and it's called The Doctrine of Creation, a Constructive Kyperian Approach. Because you guys actually use Bible verses. I think that's why that one's cool. Not many folks give us that these days. And um, he's an author of another book that is called Letters to an American Christian. So it's sort of like a screw tape letters format, if you will, where like the book is made up of letters from from Bruce to like a, like a fictitious newer Christian who is like has one foot in sort of the you know secular world and then one foot in the church or whatever, and just how to navigate everything that literally makes up our daily political landscape. So on that, there's dedicated entries to things like church and state free speech, Black Lives Matter, gun legislation, gender, immigration. And I kind of wish it was released two years after you originally did it so we could have like vaccines, face masks, lockdowns, but you know, we're going to hit those today. Anyways, brother, before we get to like specific questions, I have three preliminary questions that just even have to do with the subject of political engagement as it pertains or doesn't to Christians. So the first one is, should Christians even concern themselves with politics? And here, here's why I asked the question. I, I, I remember having, um, during the elections, I was barbecuing with a friend. And these are sort of the things that he hit me with. He's all, man, Jesus don't care about politics. He's like, my kingdom's not of this world. He wasn't out trying to change anything. He's like, what? Yeah, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. That just whatever. And then he said, you know, Paul, Paul doesn't seem to focus on it either. He seems more into quote, quote, spiritual things. He even says, you know, like Rome, like the Roman empire is crappy. That, that could be worse than America. And he's like, yeah, just let them, God put them there. Leave it, leave it alone. Let it be. So all that to say, not only are we commanded or assumed to engage politically, but 
Um, it almost seems like we shouldn't. Can you yeah, correct our theology? Sure. Yeah, that's a, I get these all the time. In fact, uh, you know, somebody went into uh, some teacher somewhere, went in and found an article I wrote on whether or not Jesus was political. I answered that he was deeply and inescapably, inescapably political. And he apparently spread it to his followers and they all came to a website and made mean comments. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, when Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world, what you have to ask is what is meant by the word world. And the Bible uses the word world in multiple different ways. And um, one way it uses to refer to the heavens and earth that we live on. And uh, right, the, God, for God, you know, God created this world. That would be a use of, of the word world. That means this world, this uh, heavens and earth that we live on. Um, another use of it, though, often is uh, the term world or the term worldly is referred, is used to refer to the sinful elements of our life in this world, of Satan's reign. And that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He's saying, my kingdom doesn't have anything to do with the satanic perversions that we find in the new heavens, new earth, because Jesus' kingdom in another sense of the word world is most definitely of this world. He does his work uh, on this heavens and earth in our lives. And, the, and he's going to return one day to give us a, a renewed heavens and earth, this heaven and earth, Revelation 21 and 22. And so um, Jesus was deeply and inescapably political in his ministry because his central declaration is that he was the supreme Lord of the entire universe. That's a cumulative effect of his teaching. And if that's true, then in one sense or another, he relativizes all other rulers. Yeah. Um, and when he returns one day, he's going to establish a kingdom of justice and peace and order and righteousness and flourishing. And he's going to establish it on this heavens and earth. Mm -hmm. So uh, politics um, is something important. And it's actually woven into the fabric of creation that uh, just as God created for example, different kinds of animals. He also created different kinds of culture, created the world in such a way that human beings uh, who are created in his image and who are creative, just like God is creator, that we would make something out of the world that he gave us, that we would bring out its hidden potentials. And uh, the hidden potentials of the world include art, science, politics, education, sports and competition, marriage and family, uh, you know, business and entrepreneurship, all of these different uh, sort of realms of culture or spheres of culture, politics is one of those. And so kind of a concluding answer would be that if it's important to God, it should be important in some respect to us. We shouldn't uh, say that it's not important. Now, uh, the, the way in which it's important to us will depend on our life station, right? So the, the, the political sphere is going to be quite important to somebody who's employed in that sphere. An elected official, someone campaigning for office, and, and uh, someone who enforces the law. That's the political sphere, police officers and so forth. Um, you know, for those uh, people who are not vocationally involved in politics, as the Lord gives you expertise and interest and ability, interact. At the very minimum, you can vote and uh, stay informed on issues. But also you can be the kind of person who can engage in um, coffee shop conversations or uh, even maybe Facebook uh, discussions in a way that represents Christ well instead of badly. So, yeah, politics is important. No, I loved on in your uh, book when you said you're like, no, like politics was part of the sort of the the pre-created order. And you're like, of course, of course, it, it wasn't like to have judges to like take 
pair of injustice, but you're like, someone's going to have to figure out which side of the road to drive on. And so I was yep. like, okay, well, well, well played Ashford. So here's the other, uh, um, one of the other preliminary questions, brother, it's like, okay, I think like you're, you are interested in politics. My dad is for me, I'm like, uh, I'm just more of like a theology or piety. Um, I know you're all those things. You're a polymath. Sorry, it's true. Um, but it just seems like an abyss of lies and slime a million, like a million miles away. Um, and it seems like the small people like literally can do nothing. So so let's even pretend I'm like, yeah, you know, what? OK, I believe it. I honestly don't think I'm going to do like what. It, it, the whole thing is such like a, a sinking ship anyways, you know, like a, a sort of pissing in the wind. Like how, how do you, I have this extremely yeah. negative view. I'm curious. I'm sure you hear this one all the time as well, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, there are a couple things to say here. One is that, um, you know, every sphere is corrupted. Um, it's a lot easier to see corruption in the political sphere than it is, for example, in the sphere of art, because most people don't pay attention to art or we're suckered a lot more easily by the cor corruption that's available in art, the art of cinematography in Hollywood movies and mm -hmm. uh, music produced by in Nashville or New York City. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little hard to point it uh, harder to point it out, uh, you know, and if we're not technically trained, it's hard to point out the corruption that exists in the realm of science. Mm -hmm. Um, it might be easier to see corruption in the business world or the political realm, um, but there's definitely corruption in every sphere. I mean, every sphere, God's got a design for it. And then it, uh, but because of sin and idolatry, we twist it in the wrong direction. And to the extent we're able, we want to untwist what's been twisted. And that gets to your question, I think, which is how in the world it, we can see how twisted the political sphere is. It's bad in so many ways. I mean, yeah, I'd have to write a, you know, about a 20 volume encyclopedia to express all the ways right. American politics is corrupted. And, um, but here's the deal. There are two ways that every American can be significantly influential in the political realm. One is by, is um, a, through a meaningful membership at a church. God's central outpost for deep level political involvement, not Democratic Republic stuff, Republican, Democrat versus Republican, and not public policy disputes, but deeper than that, the deepest meaning of political, uh, 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 of our political involvement is to declare that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And the mm -hmm. way we do that is by yeah. meaningfully being meaningfully involved in a church where we gather around word and table to declare that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And the cumulative effect of Faithful Christians pledging allegiance to Christ instead of to Caesar, there's a powerful effect on Sunday morning. So that's one. And another is by building, um, uh, by, by being uh, meaningful members of family, marriage and a family, or just family if you're not married. That, that's the most basic um, unit of society. Mm -hmm. The family is, mm -hmm. not the individual, but the family. Mm -hmm. And uh, a society is either going to uh, win, win or fail. And the, the government and political realm will be made better or worse by whether or not we have cohesive family units. So yeah. at the most basic level, there's that. But then I would say this. Um, you may not be able to move the needle much at all in national politics. You can cast a vote. Mm. Uh, you can move the needle a lot more in state politics and especially at the local level. 
You can mm-hmm. definitely make a difference in local politics. Most people don't do that because you don't see stuff about local politics when your favorite guy, you know, your favorite shock jock at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the evening is blathering on mindlessly on your favorite political talk show. They're not going to talk about local politics usually, mm-hmm. but local politics is a place where we can be really influential. Mm-hmm. So of the final sort of preliminary questions here this one's actually extremely specific and here's why i'm hitting you with it and it has to do with abortion because i think there's i know there's so many people like me they're like all right well since it since it is an abyss i am therefore a one issue voter so i really i want to i want to nuance this question to you this this one issue voter thing um about abortion right so And this is where I'm probably totally wrong. And, and I'm not embarrassed if you correct me. I'm like, okay, I'm a one issue vo- voter because I'm just like, you know, let's just even say, you know, Trump and Biden, Biden, right? Or, you know, Trump, Trump and uh, uh, Clinton. I'm like, well, you know, they both sort of seem diabolical in their own ways. But at least Trump claims to not be pro-abortion or whatever okay and so so I, oh, I'll, I'll go there now the first level of responses um from other christians who are dissenting will say well actually um all of the uh all the data shows that for whatever reason under democrats there is a lesser amount of um abortions and i say okay well but for some reason that still does this might be bad, but for some reason that doesn't do it for me. So my question for you is, uh, I'll, I'll put it to you and you actually don't even have to answer it, but this is how, this is the grid I put it through. What would you, or would I, or should we, if it comes down to those two, those two options, would we rather live like, here's like a, a crazy version of live in a society that says abortion's wrong. You could go to jail for killing for killing children, um, but a lot of them happen still. Yep. Or a society that says, "Ah, no, abortion's great. It's it's part of uh, medical health care." You know all these false categories that you line up on your book, um, but not as much happen. Yeah. So um, the reason abortion is um, human dignity is such a significant issue is that. Um, you, you know your society has become extraordinarily degenerate when it's unwilling to protect the weakest and most vulnerable, right, among right. us. And the weakest and most vulnerable among us isn't a social class or an ethnic class or anything like that. It's, uh, it's unborn beings. They are absolutely and entirely defenseless. Yeah. And um, God builds it into us to want to protect the weakest and the most vulnerable. And when we don't do that, there's uh, just uh, the most deleterious consequences. Yeah. It's not just bad for babies because it kills them. It's bad for women because it encourages men to be sexual predators mm. and, and makes mm. them irresponsible. It's bad for families because it teaches them if you encounter a problem bad enough, then you can use lethal violence to solve it. It's bad for mm. checks and balances because the Supreme Court bypassed the legislature. Uh, it, it's like the it's like a, an environmental disaster in the moral ecology of our country. Right. I would, uh, but I would give a caveat, um, a very small one. When it comes to voting, you know, I know some people who are registered Democrats and who are genuinely pro-life. 
Mm. Uh, they, they, and that is a deep passion of theirs. And if they want to re remain rooted in that party and be a member of that party uh, with the hope of being um, a prophetic voice in the party, then I applaud that. Go, I mean, go for it. I'm not going to do that, uh, but you can do that. Um, so I'll give a little bit of a, a little bit of a caveat there, mm. uh, but it's a very small one. Well, let, let me say this. I'll, and, you know, since you have friends, you might not want to hit it, but I am yet. Man, this is this is so black and white to me. I I'll say it because I feel like that I really don't know how a Christian and this is so wrong. This is like so bad. I'm like almost embarrassed to say it, but it's just the way I feel. I don't know how a Christian could vote Democrat. Because in my mind, I'm too much one for one. I'm too yeah. much. If you vote Democrat, that means you're saying yes to a person who says yes to murder. Like, I, I can't get yeah. that. Is there anything? Well, that's like, what I do. That's what I do. I mean, I think it's such an absolutely, utterly foundational issue. And, okay. and in fact, it's the reason that the neoconservative movement was created. The neoconservatives, uh, people like Richard John Newhouse, they were Democrats. They were, you know, economically center center leftish and so forth. Uh, Richard John Newhouse marched with Martin Luther King, you know, and uh, when Roe v. Wade happened, it was such a horrid moment in the nation, in, in the life of our nation, that a significant number of intellectuals, especially left the Democratic Party for good and said, we will not vote Democrat because of that. Wow. And I admire them and respect them for that. Okay. Now, so here, a uh, uh, follow-up question. I had read something of yours a few nights ago. It was pretty amazing it had to do with third party as, as a potential option you know so we have democrat and republican i would like love i saw i've recently seen some, like a third party option like on twitter and they seem sort of like even kyperian i'm like this, this seems so yeah. cool but in my mind i can't help but think what i've always been told and it seems reasonable well to vote for anything other than republican or democrat no matter how much we it would be better, for example, to vote this third party. It's uh, throwing your vote away. And I'm like, I kind of believe it. So yeah. <laughs> any thoughts on that? Yeah. So there's two, two types of uh, answer, two levels of answer there. One is what is the point of a vote? And the point of a vote usually is to propel somebody to victory. But that is not always the only way a vote can be used. A vote can be used as a, a, a register of protest to say, you know what? Mm. My lack of a vote, if it's the one vote that doesn't push so-and-so uh, Republican to office, I'm going to let that happen this time, and I'll take a short-term loss because I want a long-term gain. And the long-term gain is I'm going to tell the Republican Party, I will not vote for whoever's head you hand to me on a platter. Mm. Mm. So I think that's okay to do sometimes. I mean, okay. uh, refraining from voting. You've got working-class voters that just quit voting for 20 years because nobody uh, you know, gave a crap about them. Mm. Neither of the parties really cared. Mm -hmm. So you can use a vote in that way, and it's acceptable. Um, but then the second thing is, um, you know, which is to your point about um, third parties. Third parties can't be effective right now in America, and that's because of the way we have the Senate and the House set up. If there mm -hmm. were ever a, a change made to the way we set up people in the House of Representatives, instead of having a winner-takes-all where – right. Uh, you, you you would have a broader, it would be possible to have a broader number of parties represented in the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden a third party could make a significant difference. But we're not at that point yet. Yeah. And just so the reader knows that 
a listener knows that. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. When I had read your article, you essentially said, yeah. So say this area had 100 people voted and 50 voted for person A, 25 for person B, and then five and five and five and five. You were almost saying some, some variation of like, let's have the corresponding amount of yes. voices. And that's actually genius, but it was so good. I actually just got so sad. I'm like, that's like the equivalent of like, oh, I like to cliff jump. Maybe one day I'll fly through the sky and get on a plane and go to the moon. It's just ne- in my mind, I was like, oh, it's never going to happen. So it was cool, it's, it's, but kind of depressing. It's a long shot. <laughs> All right, cool. Okay. Want to hit some big, some just big picture stuff with you. Can you hit us with like, what are the, like, as it stands right now, what are the dominant political ideologies today in, in today's public square? Like what, what will, will I probably follow fall in and my neighbors fall in and people around me and whatnot? Yeah. So the, the first uh, dominant modern uh, political ideology that uh, we saw kind of emerging a few hundred years ago is classical liberalism. Mm-hmm. And by that, we don't mean leftism. The word liberal is used differently in those days. And that's kind of a, a, a procedural ideology, a way of um, setting society up so that we can have uh, just procedures and then let the outcomes be what they may. Mm. And classical liberalism was one of the influences in America's founding. There's some good things about it. Problem is classical liberalism often hardens into an ideology that elevates um, individual freedom to the level of a god. Mm. Um, that uh, so w- w- we can come back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another ideology that has gro- grown in the wake of that is um, socialism, and socialism uh, ha- you know quickly hardens into an ideology and elevates material equality as the god that should be worshipped and the the savior mm-hmm. that that can rescue us. And mm-hmm. it's a flawed ideology because. Um, we'll never have material equity, not even in the new heavens and new earth. Mm. Some people have more crowns than others. Some people will sit closer to Jesus than others. It's a, yeah. it's a movement built on envy and resentment. Wow. And, uh, and those wow. aren't uh, character virtues. Wow. wow. Um, ethno-nationalism uh, ascended with the Nazis. And that is a political ideology in which um, the entitled racial group or a racial group wants to be an entitled group and for justice to work in its favor, and then the other ethnic groups, whether or not they get justice, that's a secondary matter. Mm. And we reject that. Um, uh, let's see. Okay. Um, Cla- classical liberalism, the yeah, socialism. Yeah. Socialism, ethno nationalism. Um, You've got conservatism and progressivism, which don't have to be ideologies, but they, they can be more impulses, but usually they harden into ideology. Ooh. And capital, capital C, conser, uh, capital P progressivism is an ideology, and the God is progress. And, and therefore, the, the Satan figure in this drama, if the God is progress, the Satan figure is um, cultural conservation. Whoa. So to conserve your cultural institutions and conserve the way things are, that gets in the way of progress. Mm. And mm. 
Um, progressives tend to be revolutionaries. They want to bring quick, decisive change to society as a whole, yeah. not limited and cumulative change to a particular sphere. Mm. They want to do the whole thing at once. We want to clear the decks and start mm. over. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so we can talk about that more later, but I, you know, I reject that. Conservatism with a lowercase c, I think is okay. That's just an impulse to conserve what's best in your culture, but it can harden quickly into an ideology become capital C conservatism. Mm. And this is when uh, the God is the preservation of cultural heritage. Mm. When that's the case, mm. progress mm. becomes the enemy. But mm. every society needs to make some progress. Mm. We mm. need to correct some injustices and, and untwist what's been twisted with our institutions. Mm. 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 Um, so, and then there's um, libertarianism. Uh, libertarianism is, uh, is very similar to classical liberalism. It's just the attempt to roll back, uh, the, the, how big the state has become, but I think libertarianism like liberalism, um, make, makes a God out of individual choice. Mm. And, uh, there has to be a limit to the choices individuals can make and not Mm. just limits like you can't murder other people and you can't steal from them. But I think there are, uh, should be limits, uh, you know, I don't think we should be free to choose our gender. Yeah. Right. That, uh, that that tells a lie about reality, and it's a lie that ends up harming society. It is a lie about reality. Yeah. I just want to say what when you talked about progressivism, this, this line that you use, I mean, you probably read it or you made it up. I don't know. But you said the God of progress. Oh, man. Yeah. That actually frames a lot of what I what's floating around in my head. I do. I do. I say I'm not smart enough to to nuance this, but I I feel like there's this. I don't know, almost like a it's weird. It's almost like a religion or something like I feel like wrapped up in covid and, you know, and and just being together. It's weird. It has. And I'm not trying to like knee jerk and make everything spiritual, but it just seems like it there's like a, it's almost like a cult or something i don't know is this a thing that you guys think think about and talk about is that a thing or is that just wild in my mind no it's not wild in your mind yeah so you know pro- modern progressivism does definitely take on religious overtones you'd expect that if you've made a god out of something that's not a god so just progress um then uh it's going to take on religious overtones there's going to be rituals and ceremonies there's going to be um, uh, sacred documents, if you will. Whoa. Uh, there's there's going to be a, a savior of a sort. There's going to be a, a satanic opposition of a sort. And Whoa. there's going to be an, an envisioned end times. And <clears throat> I think Thomas Sowell, the brilliant American economist and philosopher, uh, uh, he published a book called Conflict of Visions. And it was his uh, it was a very objective book where he argued that underneath political disputes, disputes today, there are two underlying visions of, of the world and where we've come from and where the world is going. One, we would call the constrained vision, and most conservatives buy into this. And the constrained vision of the world says, you know what? Humans are constrained in two ways. We're finite. We're not infinite like God. So we're not infinitely intelligent, et cetera. Yes. Um, and we're also flawed. And so even when we do our best, we have bad motives, we stack the decks in our favor, we, we do things like that. And so when we bring change to society, we, we, we can't have confidence that society's smartest economists and social scientists and political leaders and social managers can uh, get together and make things perfect. They mm. can't. 
I mean, we're, we're living a fallen world. It's always going to be flawed and broken. Mm. We can't help human beings take a great leap forward. Mm. Every world religion other than Christianity thinks that the problem that humans have is insufficient knowledge. And so they offer prophets or sages and who will give us the correct <laughs> knowledge. But Christianity says the problem is not just knowledge. It's like, at a deeper level, it's the heart. So we actually yeah. need a savior who will change the heart. Wow. And so we're never going to take a great leap forward morally. You know, from time to time, historically and in different contexts, there might be some movement forward morally and on the whole in one way or another. But human beings are born fallen and, and we're not going to take a great leap forward. And so if we want to correct things that are wrong, we should do it incrementally. We should take the institutions that we already have and reform them instead of uh, forging a revolution where we overthrow those institutions and start over. Because we're finite and fallen, whatever institutions we create from scratch are going to have all kinds of unforeseen negative consequences because they'll be imperfect and flawed and foisted mm. upon society in a kind of a violent manner. Wow. Um, the unconstrained vision, which almost all progressives buy into, is that human beings can take a great leap forward, that we can get our smartest people together, and that evil is not a matter of the heart, that people aren't evil, it's just that people are in bad institutions, corrupted institutions that make them act in evil manners or bad manners. Mm. And if we can just dream up better institutions, a better social structure, right. and then um, uh, clear the decks and start over again, we can take our great leap forward. Wow. Yeah. And um, and progressivism mostly hitches its wagon to that vision of the world. Yeah. And that vision of the world is fundamentally and deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. It's so ha- helpful, even just like that category. For some reason, that category, you're right. You even said there's a Satan figure, there's prophets. I'm curious what the sacred text would be, but I, I fully resonate with you. I'm curious as a side note, do you have any dedicated posts on this or can you recommend any books? Because yeah. for some reason, I'm sort of drawn to that. It's a helpful grid for me to view things through. Do yeah. You think- so so the, the first book I'll recommend again is Thomas Sowell's um, uh, Conflict, Conflict of Visions. Uh, David Coyce's Political Visions and Illusions. He, he uh, doesn't address progressivism head on. Um, but I have in a series of articles on BruceAshford.net, I wrote an article called The Religious uh, Case Against Progressivism, mm. where I try to locate uh, all, all of these things and mention them. So I would uh, I would recommend that. OK, cool. Yeah, I know, you know, in the book you you talk about, I think Kuiper says that that, you know, big government is like an octopus, the inertia of and then uh, one thing I did like that you said also, you said the inertia of, of government tends towards more expansion. And I was even telling my wife that way. I was like, yeah, it just seems like it's like, um, you know, if like, like for me, I'm, 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 I kind of suck at repairing things. So I'll like put some tape on it, but then, you know, that's the equivalent of more government, but then I'll be like, well, I, it, it'll break something else. And then I've got, next thing I know, I've got all this different sorts of tape. I got the waterproof tape. I got the the black tape and all these sort of things that kind of resonate. Um, so here's, here's another sort of um, like kind of specific question. And it has to do with vaccination mandates, masks, restrictions on gatherings. I'm sure this is like, this is like all you think about these days, every, everybody asking you. So, and I thought of just getting your general thoughts, but then I, I found this, this section in your, so I'm sort of being the um, devil's advocate, if you will, I, I found this section in, the, in your book where you said, 
Um, you're talking about the government, you know, having limited, like just sort of let things play out, especially in economics. And then you said um, there are, of course, there are, of course, instances in which the government should intervene, you know, and this is in the chapter um, on the importance of small government. Um, You say, quote, in times of emergency, say, for instance, a hurricane, the government uh, served a helpful role by capping the price on certain necessary goods like gasoline and groceries. And then you said, I'm sure you can think of some other instances. And I know a bunch of people. Oh, yep forced vaccinations, um, masks and all this. And so for me, like uh, what, what categories Yeah, is it, is categories the solution? I, I don't know yeah. how to navigate that. There's an impulse in me. That's right. For sure. Forcing me to get an injection. Um, but everyone's saying, well, they're not making you do that, but to keep a job. But then it's like, well, if it's a, a private company, don't I also want that because I want to be able to make a cake for who I should. So I, I don't know how to how to filter these things out, except for Kuiper did say like, hey, no cowpox, you know, no. Um, he he celebrated vaccinations, but he said he ardently said there's no way that you could force um, you, you should be the government has the role of forcing vaccination. So anyways. But he didn't really nuance it more than just that high level. So I'd love to hear any sort of categories or filters by which to uh, wade through those things. Yeah, so the principle here, the deepest level principle we're dealing with is is that each sphere has its own center and its own circumference. So uh, politics, art, science, education, marriage, family, et cetera, has their own unique reason for being, and they should stick to that. Um, you know, if you have a unique reason for being, it means you exist for reason A or for thing A, but not for thing C, D, E, F, and G. Yeah. And so the government exists to bring justice to visit different individuals and um, communities under its purview. It doesn't exist to make medical decisions. Mm. And uh, however, um, I think there are three ways in which the government can, three, three legitimate reasons for which government can temporarily intervene in other spheres. Mm. So the first is they can intervene within a sphere um, that's not the governmental sphere if um, the weak are being abused by the strong. So an obvious example of that would be that the police can go to a house where uh, some a man is abusing his wife you know, beating her domestic battery and can step in and, uh, you know, bring the heat on him. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, fix the problem on a, on a broader problem. It might be that a bigger business is abusing some small businesses in some way and the government can step in. The Mm -hmm. goal is always though, for the government to also be able to quickly step back out, Mm -hmm. take care Mm -hmm. of the problem and step back out. Mm -hmm. A second category is sometimes you have um, disputes between different spheres. Let's say there's a dispute between the medical sphere and the business sphere that uh, let's say there's a this is just hypothetical. There's a there's a medical consensus that let's say there were a medical consensus that um, all businesses should mandate vaccines and masks. Let's say that there is a consensus among business owners that they should not. Now, that's not true. It's actually a lot more messy than that. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, let's just say that were the case. And so it ends up being a competition between two spheres. Mm. The government can step in and try to rectify the situation. Wow. Um, but a, a, a more obvious example of that would be, um, a more clean cut example would be, 
uh, let's say that the owner of a strip club decides he wants to build his new strip club next to mm -hmm. a, uh, a high school, mm -hmm. middle school. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, you know, and the, the school system kind of says, no, we don't want people in glass heels, uh, you know, walking around outside of, uh, <laughs> outside, of the, outside of the elementary school, you know, glass <laughs> Um, I was trying to bring a little humor to it here. Um, the government could step in and say, you know, you're not allowed to build your strip club here. Yeah. You can build it in the woods or in a different part of the city. <laughs> the woods would be the best. Yeah. And then a third category is uh, what you could call transpherical. You have some things that, that affect all the different spheres. Example would be highways. The government can regulate highways if mm. they want to, and mm. they do because it, it feeds. I mean, it, it it's something that should assist families and businesses, and you know, so forth. Mm. Um, with with COVID, you know, uh, if you apply the principle of government doing things only temporarily, I do think initially it was okay for the government to put a brakes on everything and say we got to figure this out because initially it looked like it was going to be a lot worse than it actually has been. Mm. You know, or, you know, is fourth of the country going to die? Right. You know, but now that things have become more clear, um, I think it's a lot more tricky mm. uh, for the government to start making mandates. And I'm against uh, a lot of the, the kind of mandates that are being made or talked about being made. We now see that COVID, it does affect some people pretty severely, but it's something that's going to be in the air forever. It's going to be like the flu. It's not like we're going to defeat it. Mm. And we ha we do have vaccines that people can avail themselves of if they want mm. to. And if they don't, and if there's negative consequences for not having the vaccine, then they made the choice. Mm. And if there's negative consequences for having the vaccine, then people who got the vaccine made their choice. Yeah. And we're, we're going to have to go ahead and move forward as a society uh, because the, the the shutdown effects and the the, the mandates and so forth harm us not only right now, I think they're impinging on freedom, but they also harm us socially, that there's a, a much higher incidence right now of psychotic episodes and psychological mm. disorders, mm. depression, mm. substance abuse, yeah, suicides, yeah. they're all up through the roof. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you shut society down where people can't interact with each other, and when they do interact with each other, they have their face covered, mm. not good for society. <laughs> no, no offense to the burqa. <laughs> no, hey, this is good. It's it's interesting because I'm, you know, I live in Hawaii here and our governor is set to reconvene on his temporary emergency restrictions, but we're two years deep almost. And it's like, well, so I, I want to acknowledge that. Is it a gray area in this instance? You know, if it's a gray area, because like you said, it, it does seem natural, like for them to step in, like, yeah, like what's going on? You know, everybody just relax or whatever. But there is something to be said. <laughs> OK, let's just let's just assume the, the narrative that says COVID. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but COVID is all variations of it are extremely contagious. Um, we just need to wear these masks. It's it is for that's for the betterment of all the spheres <laughs> let's just use something like like masks like you have to have your mask on or whatever and i'm not even opposed to a mask but but i could see the intentions behind the government and it's like this is them trying to protect everyone because someone has to 
decide does this fall in the same yeah. category well someone has to decide what side of the yeah. roads we drive sure. on but also yeah. at the same time like i don't but at the yeah. same time i'm like i just i'm just yeah if if it were more clear cut i mean if covid were significantly more dangerous than it is for significantly more people and if we're, we're very clear that masks solve the solve a problem i think it is okay for the government to step in because that affects everybody's health I just don't don't think it's that clear cut and it's mm. time uh, to step back out. Okay. Now people are aware of what's happening. We understand the risks. We can make our choices and we can move on. Last question about vaccine and all this. So if, you know, I remember the whole like, like some Christian people got in trouble for not wanting to make a cake for a homosexual. It's like, because it's their private institution. Um, couldn't it also be said that well, if that same company, you know, uh, doesn't is going to say, first of all, you have to have a mask when you come in here. Um, you know, it's not the state law. It's just their own business. Right. Because they own it. And at the same, you know, you could go somewhere else if you don't like. And at the same time, all their workers have to have the vaccine because they're like, yeah, this is going to make sure everyone else here is safe. Are those is that apples and apples? And, and is that all right? Or. Yeah, so it's a it's an analogy, but it's not an exact one because uh, the uh, cake bakers don't deny cakes for homosexuals. They just deny cakes for homosexual weddings because the actual event itself goes against their convictions. Mm. Um, but there, there, you know, there is an analogy there. Uh, private businesses do, I think, should be, be able to make decisions uh, reasonably on. Uh, you know, something like a mask, you have to wear a mask in our business. It's not reasonable for them to say we deny service to somebody based on their height. Mm. You know, <laughs> like only people under five feet can shop here, only, you know, okay. or their race or their income level. You're not allowed to enter here unless you show us that you make more than a million a year. Mm. Mm. Right. Um, okay. Okay. So no, that's good. Yep. I might hit you with something a little hot. It might be a little hot for you to hold, but it has to do with something that we both appreciate. And that is like the neo-Calvinist tradition. And um, I, I first, you know, read Kuiper and Bavink and Bartholomew and you. And and then I sort of chronologically started working my way up. And I will say the last 30, 40 years, it seems most neo-Calvinist stuff is political, you know, political science, whatever, and philosophy and maybe a little bit about culture. Um um you've been you you have helped us with missions so thank you for that as well as other things but what one thing i noticed i thought was insane it seems like i was even on like a um a neo-calvinist like email thread with all these like really old like big deal um neo-calvinist philosophers and and oh my gosh as i'm reading reading them it's like these dudes are like flaming and I say in like the, the, the capital, like, like liberal, like liberal to the max. And so I'm just curious, you know, some people, yeah. I, I just don't even, can you, I don't even know what yeah, to yeah. ask. I just see that. And I'm baffled. Yeah, yeah. Can you, you have, well, you have any yeah, thoughts? Start, well, first let's start with a phenomenon of theological conservatism and liberalism, and then we'll move to political. You know, what Kuiper did during his day is he rebelled against the theological liberalism of his day against his own PhD right. experience right. and his own beginnings as a liberal pastor. 
Mm-hmm. And he came to have a firm belief that uh, that the Lord Christ is uh, has revealed himself through Christian scripture. And that this is the fundamental fact of a Christian's existence, that Jesus is Lord and that he conveys his, his wishes and his will through um, God's living and active word. <clears throat> and one of the things that happened, unfortunately, is that Kuiper's sort of template, his sphere sovereignty template, uh, a lot of people bought into that, which I'm glad they did, his social architecture, but they didn't buy into his biblical conservatism. Uh, and so they took the uh, the skins of sphere sovereignty and filled them with some strange water, with uh, <laughs> theologically, li- theologically liberal water or wine, if you will, some strange wine. Whoa. And twisted his sphere sovereignty in, in uh, wildly bad directions. I mean, and that is true. I mean, you look at the 70s, the 80s, 90s, you know, last century and and today and a lot of the the CRC and yeah. broader Kyperian movement has gone against Kuiper's deepest convictions. His deepest convictions di- didn't have to do with sphere sovereignty. Yeah. His deepest convictions had to do with Christ's lordship and it being conveyed through Christian scripture and us being faithful to scripture. Mm-hmm. Same thing with bombing. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was, a, okay. It ends up being kind of a violent perversion of, uh, to, to, I mean, unless you're honest about what you're doing, if you're honest and just say, Oh, we like sphere sovereignty, but we don't like any of the rest of Kuiper. <laughs> At least you're being honest. Um, when you get in the political realm, I think Kuiper was trying to navigate two bad impulses: bad conservatism and and bad and and the progressive movement of his day, the revolution, the French Revolution. So the French Revolution wanted to clear the decks, uh, unconstrained view of society, want to start over again. And his whole political party was named the Anti-Revolutionary Party, not a snappy marketing acronym, maybe. Uh, today, but in his day it was, you know, I mean, it, it, he, he's like, here, I'll pay my money and take my stand. Here I stand, I can do no other. Right, right. With this revolution, this progressive revolutionary mentality. Mm-hmm. But Kuiper also pushed back against a, a warped kind of conservatism that had become ideological that didn't want any change. And he said, well, let's have a, a, a healthy respect for culture and institutions and preserve cultural heritage, but work for reform in the places where there need to be reform. Mm -hmm. What I would say today is that I want to be leery of uh, people, you know, Kuyperian paradigms that are more revolutionary rather than reformational. Mm. And both Kuyper and Grin, Van Prinster, his mentor, were very uh, much dead set against revolutionary type movements. Mm. And they wanted uh, uh, reform instead of revolution. I've written about that on the website, bruceashford.net. Mm. Mm. And, uh, and so I think we should seek change, but we should seek it incrementally and uh, and and not t- to try to clear the decks socially. Yeah. And then also I want to, following Kuiper's footsteps, uh, by following Jesus's footsteps, when Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away. Mm-hmm. You want to follow Jesus? Then follow what he thinks about the Bible. <laughs> and yeah. that is that the Bible um, can be trusted, that God inspired it. Mm-hmm. And he guided its, its dual authorship of God and humans working together in conformity with one another. Mm-hmm. And on issues like 
transgender issues or or um, gay marriage or or whatever or just same sex attraction in general and same sex sexual activity. I mean, on these sorts of things, I think we should ask, what does God's word say? And then and then conform our minds and hearts to what his word says. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we ask the question, is this something should be enshrined in law or how, how does this affect yeah. political decisions? Sure, sure. I got uh, two final questions for you. The second last one is a follow-up to that. And it is most of the you know, neo-Calvinists right now <clears throat> that are not like theologians, but in the, the political science world, it's like almost like really strong, strong, large government. Like I, I, I cannot figure, I, I just can't figure out because like the octopus thing. So I'm curious, do you know how they get there? Like how, how I, I'm just baffled. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a difference in application of the principles that Kuiper has. Um, and some of these folks, you, you know, may actually kind of be in the Kuiperian tradition, but they might actually reject Kuiper's view. That mm. could be the way some of them do it. But mm. probably what they would say is that the government does have a right to intervene in the economic sphere um, because the, the strong are abusing the weak. That is mm. what they say. Mm. Um, I would say is it is okay for the government to interfere in the economic sphere when the strong are abusing the weak uh, and that the government should view itself as a temporary curator to to fix what needs to be fixed and then pull out. And as a curator, it should set up the procedure in a just manner and, and, and make sure that just procedure is followed. Yeah. It should not be concerned with whether so-called just outcomes. Uh, because yeah. those don't have to do with justice, whether or not people make equal wages, you know, like how much somebody ends up earning is not necessarily a matter of justice. Totally. If you got people in sweatshops paying them two bucks an hour in America, that's an injustice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if they haven't chosen to do that, if they have another option, but, but in general, we want to set up procedural justice rather than outcome based justice. Wow. So good. Ashford. That was fire. My last question for you, um, and I, I do just want, I, I do want to uh, commend the book to the listeners, Letters to an American Christian. So, so good. And then bruceashford.net. Um, last question. It's kind of a random one. And it shows how I have sort of been sucked in, sucked into the, like, just, I guess, the narrative that's all around me. And that is a few days ago, I was driving and I saw like a bunch of people on the side of the road with like flags, American flags. And I, my first instance, like was sort of cringe. I was like, Ooh, Ooh, it seems so offensive. And I thought, why, why is it? What, what, what shifted in me? I used to, when I was in high school, I had a flag hanging on my wall. And now why was it? I don't even know why. But the very first thing I saw when I saw American flag was, ooh, eek. Is that weird? <laughs> Where, no, how did that happen? We, we probably have conflicted. Uh, that You know, the, the flag is, I think, used in different ways. Mm. And I think the reason we're nervous is because it gets used in wrong ways. Okay. You know, I think uh, we should have a healthy civic nationalism, or another way of putting it is patriotism. We should love what 
what is honorable and good about our country. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it's an uncritical patriotism that we should recognize our country's flaws and deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should also recognize that some people use the flag as a, uh, for, for wrong and bad reasons mm-hmm. and uh, just automatically assume that their view of the way America should be is absolutely correct and that everyone else should be crushed, for right. example. Right. But yeah, I think we want to be careful to make sure that we pledge allegiance first and foremost to the Lord Christ, who is the ruler and sovereign over the whole universe, and then only secondarily to uh, the national communities within which we live and the, the political elected officials who govern them. So good. Bruce, Bruce Riley Ashford, thanks for your time. Any, uh, any upcoming books or um, blog series coming up that we should keep our eyes peeled or anything recent that you, you highlight? Yeah, so BruceAshford.net pretty soon will be having a series on um, the Lord's Prayer in relation to the political realm. Oh, I'll be doing that. I've just published a series on manipulation that's gotten a lot of hits uh, that you may want to look at um, how to spot manipulation in interpersonal relationships Mm. and a post on media manipulation and post on political manipulation. I'm working on five books right now. Uh, Of course you are. Yeah, so I, I won't mention those yet. But uh, if you're out there and you've liked what you heard on the podcast, I think maybe you'll like uh, my book, Letters to an American Christian. And you can find that at Amazon.com. And I would love if you would uh, come to the website, BruceAshford.net, and type in keywords. And I've written on nearly everything in politics. And I've got a few thousand articles posted there. Brief articles, usually. Mercifully brief. We'll link those up. Brother, thank you so much for your time. Blessings to you. Thanks, Jason. We came for salvation, we came for family, we came for all that's good, that's how we'll walk away, we came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to lead.